0: Today's message was recorded live at the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church of Louisville, Kentucky, a safe environment where people relationships become kingdom relationships. Find us online at www.FriendlyChurch.com. Happy Sabbath, everyone. Church family, friends, family relatives, YouTube viewers, everyone who's watching, welcome. Welcome. ...to the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church. I am glad that today we have full capacity. Yes, you may see seats available, but you know, that's that's where we are. And we have the overflow ready. So, I am excited to see all of you. And excited for you who are watching. And if you're watching for the first time, welcome to our YouTube. Please come back and connect with us. You can write to us. Uh, if you uh, visit us at uh, FriendlyChurch.com, you can connect with us that way. And those of you who are here for the first time in our uh, audience, we have connect cards in the pews. Feel free to to let us know that you're here and how we can uh, minister to you, how we can serve you on behalf of God Almighty. Uh, welcome back to the second Part, the second sermon on this series, fru- Free and Fruitful. Uh, last Saturday night, Pam and I were talking about this. We could hardly fall asleep. I felt like I was on high adrenaline rush. This is a, is a great topic for those of us who've been in this world for so long and tried to live a victorious life. Today, Free and Fruitful, Jesus Gives the victory. Let's pray again. Lord, you know that I'm excited about this topic. Lord, Lord, you know that you have put it into my heart as we were studying about the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray, I pray that your presence through the Holy Spirit will be felt in each and everyone's heart who is listening to this message. It is a message of hope. It is a message that if we do understand it, it will transform and revolutionize our lives. So thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today. Thank you for giving us this opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A few weeks ago, we uh, celebrated the birth of Jesus. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? God with us. Emmanuel. God so loved the human race that he couldn't wait to come and live with us. And Jesus lived with us For 30 plus years. And as he was ready to go back to heaven, his mission being fulfilled, he promised his disciples, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. John 14 18. Great promise. It consoled the grieving disciples. And Jesus Jesus wanted not just to console them, but to inspire and to motivate them. And right before departing for heaven, Jesus promised again, Matthew 28, verse 20, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Now, the question you might have is how? Jesus, how are you going to be with us always? And Jesus answers, And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may abide with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm, I, I will come to you through the Holy Spirit, and then... He said this, then you will do the things I do and greater things you will do. John 14, 12. Did that happen? Have Jesus' disciples ever done greater things than Jesus did? On the day of Pentecost, the disciples were praying together to receive the Comforter. That's a united prayer. There are people united in prayer with one purpose and one goal, to receive the Helper, to receive the Holy Spirit. And it happened. You read that story in Acts chapter 2. The the Holy Spirit came over the early church as they were praying, and the gospel was preached in many languages. We read in the Bible that the, the, the gospel was preached to everyone that was there in their own tongue. Multitudes were converted and accepted Jesus as their Savior. Miracles began to happen. Then the disciples, the disciples, one, they were walking through the courts of the, sem- the temple, and the sick literally lined themselves up. They will just fall down on the ground so that when disciples will walk, just as you see my, my, shade right here, my shadow right here. That's how they lined up where the shadow will come so that they at least will let the disciples' shadow overshadow them and they will get healed. Greater things you will do, Jesus said. And indeed, it happened because they had Jesus in them through the Holy Spirit. Healings were multiplied exponentially. Greater things you will do, Jesus said. In some occasions, Paul's apron was taken from him to the bed of the one who was sick, and the sick was healed. Why? Why did all these things happen? Because these disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus Asked his disciples to wait for him. To wait for the Holy Spirit before they go out and attempt to do anything. In our human nature, we sometimes get so passionate about something, we want to do it. He said, wait. Wait right here. Wait until you're filled. And when the Spirit came over them and entered in them, their lives began to produce the fruit Jesus said the fruit that will glorify my father John 15 verse 8 is the fruit of the spirit. No wonder Jesus explained the difference between his disciples and the false disciples. Matthew 7:20 says by their fruit you shall know them. And the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is produced only by those who live according to the Spirit because they are filled with the Spirit. The last half of 2020, I preached and I taught on the importance of the Holy Spirit in the Christian's life. We cannot produce the fruit out of our own will or with our own efforts. We need to be filled with the Spirit and we need to ask to be filled daily. Just like when you charge your cell phone. You charge it daily so they can use that phone to a full capacity. To whatever it was designed to be doing. Jesus was filled With the Holy Spirit daily. Ellen White writes in the book. Desire of Ages. That Jesus received a fresh baptism. Of the Spirit daily. He asked daily. And he received daily. A fresh baptism. Fresh power. From above. Last sermon. We began to look. To get deeper. Into this subject. Of living in the Spirit. I believe that as we step into a new year, as we enter a new decade, we need Jesus in us. Not just with us. We need Jesus in us. And Apostle Paul challenged us last week to examine our life and see whether, if we, are in, whether we are in the faith. He says in 1 Corinthians 13:5. I hope you pondered upon that question, upon that challenge. We enter a new decade. How are we going to live our lives as Christians in light, in light of what's going on in the world and in light of what's going on in our country? Are we going to live the same? Is there anything to change in our living? Paul says in 1 Corinthians thirteen five, Test yourselves. And see if Jesus is in you. See, Paul is challenging us to go deeper into our understanding of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The question is how is Jesus going to live in us since he left earth 2,000 years ago? Is Jesus' promise true? The promise that I am with you always until the end of the world? Is that promise true? And if it is, how is it possible? Well, it is possible to have Jesus in us only through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus lives in you, he is the one who will live his perfect life in you. If you want to listen more on that topic, well, go to last sermon. This one will build on it. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. John 15, verse, first five verses. Two things. Two things we must consider about abiding in Christ. This whole series is about that. Two things we might consider. Number one... We're free from sin or of sin. When Jesus abides in you, when Jesus is in you, Jesus lives his life through you. And second, we're fruitful. When Jesus is in you, your life will produce the acts of kindness Jesus wants for those around you and for those around us. And people will be attracted to him And they will see Jesus in us. In last sermon, we looked at the Christian's dilemma. See, Christians, what I I, I call that a Christian struggle. Christian struggle, and that struggle has to do with this pattern most Christians experience in their Christian journey. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this from uh, the book. Spirit Baptism and Abiding in Christ, page 11, where Pastor Dennis Smith explains a pattern that is always true with most Christians. They accepted Christ as their Savior, but were burdened and bewildered by their Christian walk that was so sporadic in in, in obedience and unfruitful in service. They longed for a consistently faithful walk with their Lord, but never found it. They struggled with besetting sins, but the sins seemed to win the battle. They prayed and studied their Bible, but that didn't seem to bring the victory they longed for. After years of struggle, they came to the point of despair and weariness. Their sense of failure was overwhelming. The life of continual victory over sin seemed impossible to attain. Then one day, one day they discovered the reality of the mystery of the union with Christ. And that's what I preached last week. We're going to build on that. This mystery of the union with Christ and Jesus living in the Christian Once they discovered this truth, they were amazed at how simple it was to live a Christ-like life, but yet it eluded them for years. After this discovery that Jesus is living in them, their life was never the same. Their joy in the Lord was deep and abiding. Their life was now consistently victorious Even over besetting sins, they no longer felt burdened or anxious in their service for the Lord. And their service became the most fruitful for the Lord. See, that's how we all did. Indeed, Jesus said, follow me. When we first heard the gospel and we accepted Jesus as our Savior, that was the first work of the Holy Spirit in us. To convert and to convict our hearts and to follow Jesus. And Jesus' disciples do that, right? They hear the call and they follow Jesus. But when Jesus is not around them physically, we hear him say, abide in me. And I in you. And that's the second work of the Holy Spirit. To have Jesus live his life in you, in us, through the Holy Spirit. I hope you, you can follow my train of thought. So first, Jesus calls his disciples, you and me included, he calls them, follow me. We surrender our life to him and we get baptized And then secondly, Jesus urges his disciples to let him abide in them and have them abide in him. First, we get baptized of the water, the water of conviction and repentance. Second, we get baptized of the Holy Spirit. We are filled with the Spirit and Jesus abides in us. Jesus is in us. We're we're not just followers. Of Jesus were more than followers. See, when the 12 men became disciples, they followed Jesus, and it was Jesus doing all the work. They just followed Jesus. You get me? They followed Jesus, but was Jesus doing all the teaching, doing all the healing, the miracles and the casting out of devils? But when Jesus began to live in them through the Holy Spirit after Pentecost, it was them, it was the disciples having Jesus in them now. It was them doing the works that Jesus did. The teaching, the healing, and so on. Now, last week, again, we looked at the Christian dilemma. We looked at the Christian struggle. And the struggle is that Christians think... They can live a Christ-like life, adding God's power to their own efforts. And that, as we saw it, it doesn't work. And as they fail over and over, it becomes discouraging. When we became Christians, we agreed we cannot earn eternal life with our own deeds and through our own efforts. We agreed we cannot live a Christian life in our own power. Most of us, if not all, agreed on that. What we did not realize is that we need to stop thinking we can add to our own efforts. We can add God's efforts to our own efforts. Until we realize, and I emphasized that at the end of our last sermon until we realize that we cannot live a victorious life by adding God's effort to our effort, until we realize that it's only Christ in us, through the Holy Spirit, that can bring the fruit in us, until we realize that we will not have success in living the life that God intended for us to live. And I know this is a lot to digest spiritually and mentally. But I want you to ponder upon these things. I think God is calling us as we enter a new decade, as we enter a a new phase of the history of this world. And as we come closer to His coming, He is calling us to holiness. Because the power of our sinful nature is so strong, it is impossible for us to become free from its control by our own efforts. And I presented last week that struggle that Apostle Paul writes in Romans 7. Many sincere Christians don't realize this. So they continually put forth efforts to overcome the sins and temptations in their life. Asking God to add His power to their efforts. But because of their sinful nature's power, these efforts ultimately fail. And as a result, they become discouraged frustrated, bewildered, and even questioned themselves if they are Christians at all. Now, one of the aspects of the gospel, it is good news. Gospel is good news, right? It is good news indeed. One of the aspects of the gospel is that at the cross, the power of the sinful nature was broken for all who accept Christ and believe. Apostle Paul says in Romans 6, verse 11, knowing "Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Then in verse 11, scroll down a few verses, Romans 6, 11, Paul says, reckon yourself to be dead indeed unto sin but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Savior how are we alive through Jesus through Jesus living in us and Jesus lives in us through the Holy Spirit these days see when Jesus died on the cross the power of the sinful nature in every believer's life was broken. That's what the Bible tells us. And I say, hallelujah. At the cross, at thy cross, where I first saw the light. Remember that song? At the cross, says the song. When Jesus died on the cross, the power of the sinful nature in every believer's life Was broken. That's a historical fact. My friend. And it becomes reality in your life. It becomes reality in my life. Only when we believe. That is true. Otherwise. It doesn't mean anything. Listen to this. This principle. Is powerful. What it means is that the unloving you, the unforgiving you, the angry you, the lustful you, the anxious you died on the cross and at the cross. That's wonderful news. It means that you do not have to be controlled by your unloving attitude or unforgiveness or anger, lustful thoughts and desires and so on. The power of The power of these sinful desires, attitudes, and behaviors is broken. Where? At the cross. By the way, we will have communion in two weeks. If you want to come at the cross, join us for communion. Those who attend in person will partake of the Lord's emblems, the Lord's Supper right here. For the rest of us who are on, online, the emblems will be set. We will set them in the foyer next Sabbath afternoon so that you can pick them up for you and your family. We'll have them there probably from 1 to 5. You can come and pick them up for your family. Then the following Sabbath on January 30th, we have them here. You pick them up next Sabbath and in two weeks you'll have them at home and we will have communion service together. The power of the sinful nature is broken at the cross, but many of us have come to a wrong conclusion. I'm telling you, I never ever thought that I had Christianity taken so wrong In my entire philosophy of life. Because see, we come, the devil is so cunning that he can do anything he wants to distort the message so that we believe that we cannot live a Christian life, a Christ like life. And I said that last week when we have that attitude, what do we do? We side with the devil who told everyone that God's law is impossible to keep. The power of the, sinful, nature desi- the sin- sinful desires is broken at the cross, but many of us have come to a wrong conclusion. Hear me out. The mistaken conclusion is that since the power of the sinful nature was bo- broken at the cross, now we believe we can do it when we add God's power. See what I'm saying? We believe, I can do it with His power. That's not right. That's not the right conclusion. We cannot add God to our own efforts. Let's illustrate this with an example. Consider the Christian who has a struggle with anger. He reasons that if the power of his sinful anger was broken at the cross, he can now stop being angry when something happens to cause him to become angry. Right? And that's fair enough, right, to believe that. But listen, to what happens? He feels great relief and confident that now he will finally have the victory. Soon, something happens to cause him to feel anger. Maybe in traffic. Someone cuts him off. Or maybe someone says something very unkind to him. Immediately, anger shows up. He puts effort to subdue it. However, he finds that it keeps lingering. He tries to reason with himself about not being angry of the situation. Sometimes he can move on and anger leaves. And other times it seems to linger. When he sees the person who spoke unkind or critical words... He still feels anger well up in him. He doesn't want these feelings, but seems helpless to get rid of them. He begins questioning himself about why anger is still arising in his feelings. He concludes that he must not have asked God or received enough power from God to assist him in his efforts to overcome anger. So he pleads with God to remove the anger, to give him the power needed, to give him more power. I need more efforts to my effort, Lord, in order to have victory. And here he rereads reads Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He feels sure now that the next time he will be ready for the temptation and will gain victory. However, He continues to experience the same pattern of being overcome by his besetting sins. More confusion and feelings of defeat sets in. Again, he questions his sincerity and finds no peace in his walk with the Lord. And I don't know how many of you experienced that, but I know I did. Now, I want you to hear this. It is very true that the power of our sinful nature was broken at the cross. This does not mean that if we now believe this, we can then begin obeying God by putting our own efforts to do so. No. There is only one way we will have the victory we long for. The victory over temptation and sin will take place in our lives only as we believe the truth of the crucifixion of our sinful nature and allow Jesus to give us the victory, His victory. We must understand that we will be victorious over temptation and sin only as we allow Him to live His life in us. And how do we do this? I mentioned this last week again. The first step in experiencing the complete deliverance Jesus wants us to have is to understand that we have no power within ourselves to obtain victory. Then Paul says, 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. What is the glory of the Lord? His character, right? Who revealed God's character on earth? Jesus. So as we are beholding the character of Jesus, Paul continues, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. In other words, step-by-step character development. How? By our own efforts, no. We are transformed, and he says, just as by the Spirit of the Lord, by the Holy Spirit. And here is a step-by-step practical application of how to allow Jesus to give you the victory. Remember, only Jesus gives the victory. That's why I entitled this part of this series, Jesus gives the victory, and here is how he does it: When you become aware of a temptation to sin, choose to turn your mind immediately away from it. And I want to 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 um, to give you a prerequisite to this: You need to be surrendered and to have asked the Holy Spirit to fill you in the morning before you start your day. And you need to remove yourself from the environment. So, choose to turn your mind immediately from the temptation as it comes. Say a Bible verse, say a short prayer, or if the temptation persists, call someone. It is proven that just talking with someone turns our mind away. Second, believe that your sinful nature to that temptation is broken. At the cross. Third, believe Jesus is in you and lives in you. And ask him to manifest his virtue in you in relation to that temptation. And believe that he will manifest himself. Then rest in that belief and don't fight the temptation. See, when we fight the temptation, we're actually focusing on it. And we're trying to fight it on our own efforts. And then thank Jesus for the deliverance He has just given you. Let's take that example of anger. I wanted to make it as practical as I can for you. Because this can be applied in your life. That's what we're here for. Let's take the example of anger. Someone does something or says something to make you angry. The application of these steps goes like this. As soon as you become aware of the temptation to become angry, choose to turn your mind away from what is making you feel that anger. And you can choose a various way to do it. Believe that the angry you was crucified at the cross and that the power of your sinful desire to become angry is broken at the cross. Then believe Jesus is in you. And ask Him to manifest His non-anger, His peace, His calmness in you. Rest in that belief. Believe He's doing that right then. And rest in that belief. And don't fight the temptation to become angry. Thank Jesus for the deliverance from anger He has just given you. I know it sounds it sounds some burdensome but it works and you can apply these steps to any temptation or any situation. I was starting my day, it was in the middle of the week this past week and uh, anxiety And fear overwhelmed me. It wanted me to become angry or to become discouraged and disappointed. And it lingered for a while when I realized that I realized that I need to practice what I've learned recently. I immediately realized that I'm not going to be victorious over this by my own efforts. And I prayed. I said, Lord, I'm taking my mind off of this anxiety this morning and turn it over to you. I believe that the anxious Marius was crucified at the cross and that the power of this anxiety over me was broken at the cross. Lord, I believe you are in me through your Holy Spirit. I believe you are living your life in me now. I'm not going to fight this. I'm going to let you leave your calmness in me. Thank you for delivering me from this anxiety that happened while I was driving and I must confess that it didn't want to go away immediately so I repeated that same prayer a couple of more times then I was freed free and fruitful that's what this series is all about Today we learned that only Jesus, only Jesus who lives in us through the Holy Spirit will give us the victory. Would you like to give you, would you like Jesus to give you the victory over every area in your life? Well, I invite you to stand as we sing our closing song today. Lord, I need you. Lord I need you every hour I need you I need you to live in me today and every